Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on February 25th. I am Frank Sample, joined by Scott White and Chris Towers. We have our starting pitcher preview part two today on the podcast as we'll deep dive the top 40 starting pitchers in Fantasy Pros ADP. And it's such an interesting list that features Cy Young Award winners, young studs, old and undervalued, injury risks, and everything in between. A little bit of something for everybody on today's podcast. But first... I saw some discussion on Twitter Thursday about including more head-to-head points analysis on Fantasy Baseball Podcast. And admittedly, I could do a better job of working that in. I know Adam used to do a great job of talking about head-to-head points here on the podcast. So it's... It's It's not all on you, Frank. No, it's a format that I love. And I... I, Look, admittedly, I feel like since I've come here, you know, it's probably been more Roto category-centric, but... I, I do truly love the format. It's my longest keeper league. It's it's my Tout Wars league that, you know, I won last year. So I, I do truly like it. Humble brag. Oh, yeah, no big oh, deal. It's just, it just happens to be the one, the, the Tout Wars you know. league that I won. No, it's sorry. Oh, did you guys hear that? I'm sorry. <laughs> this is the year of Chris, by the way. Scott won it in 2020. I won it last year. Chris, this is your year. I feel it, man. All right, Scotty. We should all win. I think we should just all win. Yeah. We should just sweep Tap Wars, the three of us. I, and I am retire. I am down. <laughs> I, I am down for that. Uh, all right. So, Scotty, with all that said, how does your starting pitcher strategy differ in a head-to-head points league versus a categories league? So, I feel a little underdrafted in the head-to-head points format so far, which I don't want to use it as, as an excuse because we used to do far fewer mock drafts than we do now, and yet we still manage to... Uh, convince people we knew what we were talking about. So um, theoretically, and I, I went back and looked through the couple mocks we've done for that format already and what I did and how I felt about it. Uh, you know, obviously, traditionally, that's been the format where starting pitchers are, are favored. Um, and I think that's still true. I, I think we're, for me personally, there are more, there's more separation at starting pitcher for me in points leagues and categories than, than there's ever been before because we're at a time where there are so many like extremes within the five different categories in Roto, you know? So I think in between both there being fewer lineup spots to fill in a points league and there being more ways that a batter can contribute to a points total, than just the five categories and, and like you don't have to get 
You don't have to balance all those hitters who different, do different things. Like there, there's a lot more redundancies at hitter and a lot fewer hitter spots to fill. So I think you can afford to go heavy at starting pitcher in head-to-head points leagues still, uh, even if I'm kind of getting away from that in, in categories leagues. And so specifically what that looks like for me, uh, probably still aiming for a hitter in round one. I think Garrett Cole is the only slam dunk first rounder in points leagues, though. You know, obviously, if you're if you're doing like Kyle Tucker versus Walker Bueller in a points league, I'm probably opting for Bueller. When obviously I'd opt for Tucker in a categories league, uh, but then I'm much more likely to take a starting pitcher in round two and beyond because I there 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 are. Fewer ways you can distinguish yourself at header in a points league, maybe is the simplest way to put it. I know that was kind of a convoluted explanation, but hopefully it made sense. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, I use I usually wind up with probably two two starting pitchers in my first three picks or three in my first four picks, and then maybe you know hammer out some hitters in the middle rounds of a points league draft. But you're right, Scott. I mean, typically not as many hitter spots to fill, and the waiver wire is usually plentiful in a head-to-head points league when it comes to hitters. Yeah. So you don't really want to be streaming two-star pitchers. You can do it, but it's pretty risky. I mean, those guys are on the waiver wire for a reason. You want reliable starting pitching in that yes. format. Um, yes, and and like benches are mostly comprised of starting pitchers. In it. So you go deeper into the starting pitcher pool, even if roster spots, even if rosters tend to be smaller because you want to take advantage of the volume at starting pitcher, um, maximizing two-start weeks, etc. So... The late rounds of a head-to-head point. I, I think you see a bigger difference in the late rounds of a head-to-head points draft versus a, a categories draft than even in the early rounds. All right, Chris. Yesterday you mentioned that you want the you want to use the hero starting pitcher strategy this season. Do you lean even more into that in a points league? Maybe instead of just getting one hero, you want two of those guys. Yeah, it depends on how the draft goes. Like I'm looking at the the head-to-head mock draft that you guys did a couple weeks ago um, on the on February 10th. Not much has changed in terms of the news cycles. That's right. So nope. four starting pitchers went in the first round. Seven went in the first two rounds. Thirteen went in the first three. When I look at it, and it's like, if I'm gonna have to take Jose Barrios in the third round. I'm probably not going to be taking starting pitchers that early just because one there, there are like more bench spots or more bench spots will be designated, dedicated to pitchers in this format, you know, almost certainly, but you only have five starting pitcher spots to fill in your starting line. Maybe some sparks get used that way, but you know, for the most part, like people generally don't start filling up their bench before their starting lineup is filled. And that's not to say that you should do that. Like drafting a really good bench pitcher, if there's great value, I think that's a smart idea. But by the time people start filling up their their starting spots for pitcher, you know that's when things can slow down and you can maybe start to get some value. So I, I Aaron Nolan in the third round. <clears throat> you know the, the pitchers who went in the third round in this one were Julio Arias, Lucas Giolito, Jose Barrios, Sandy Alcantara, Alcantara. Robbie Ray and Starling and sorry, Aaron Nola. So it's like, I feel pretty good about some of those guys at those prices, but I'm not sure I love Julio Arias in the, you know, the, the first pick of the third round in a points league. And so it kind of depends, you know, if 
if I'm there at five or six and Garrett Cole's there, I might take him, but it's not a guarantee. And, you know, Scott said he's the only, Garrett Cole's the only first round pitcher he'd really be interested in. There's going to be more than that going in the first round, most likely. So it yeah. does get tough. Yeah, I, I I think probably I would capitalize on the group after that because it's it's it gets down it, for me it comes down to which hitters are legitimately separating themselves from the mm-hmm. rest of the hitter crop in a points league format. And I think basically all the ones going in the first round, with exceptions of maybe Shohei Otani who has terrible plate discipline and Kyle Tucker who I mentioned, uh, are in points leagues as well as Roto well ahead of their counterparts at their respective positions. So I, I've mentioned before on other podcasts that in a typical Roto League, and there's enough crossover with points leagues, I think, that it still applies. Roughly round four through eight, all the hitters going round four through eight are virtually indistinguishable in terms of upside to me. And I think that goes double in a points league where you don't have to worry about balancing categories. It's just overall production. If they're more or less the same, then that gives you a lot of wiggle room. And I, I think it makes it so you can load up on pitchers early. Maybe not in round one, but round two through five, let's but say. But the thing about the way pitching or points leagues usually work is the ace pitchers will tend to get more points than the best hitters, you right. know, especially if you've got like the Justin Verlander or Jacob deGrom peak seasons. After that... You know, the the kind of second and third tiers of pitchers. Yeah, well, that's why I want a lot of them, is what I'm saying. I want a lot of the Sandy Alcantara's. I want a lot of the... Aaron Nola kind of group. Yeah, but like guys... Aaron Nola, even even a little bit lower, though. I'm definitely less willing to, like, take the speculative flyer on a Dylan Cease, who I have. No, that's that's too late. That's what I'm saying. Like, that, you want... I think that was probably, like, four The 60th overall pick. Yeah. Well, that's why you got you got to go pretty heavy at starting pitcher in round in rounds two through five. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and I think that's why you need to know there there are pitchers that are better in roto slash categories versus in head to head points. I mean, typically, Scott, a lot of the pitchers you target late in your drafts, the Adam Wainwrights, the Zach Rankies, Aaron Savali, because they give you that volume. The innings matter yep. so much in a points yep, I league. Love those. You I wanna, like those guys in in both formats, but yeah, especially in a points. And league. yeah, you want to target they, those guys. They and double count. Someone like a Freddie Peralta or a Dylan Cease, you know, maybe somebody we expect to give you more strikeouts and, you know, strong ratios, but you don't really know what the workload's going to be this upcoming season. Those are probably pitchers you might want to look to fade at their current ADP in a points league. So just keep those things in mind. If Adam Wainwright goes six innings, you get the point for every out in that format. You get, it's the point for every out, right? Yep. You get, if he allows three or fewer runs, you get the quality start bonus if he gets a win. So it's like, that's yeah. the thing is that the guys who can pitch deeper into games, they're not just more valuable because the inning itself is actually valuable, but because those guys tend to compound value on top of, mm-hmm. you know, the, the really good starts tend to keep adding value on top of just what they do. And, and they're penalized less for not getting the strikeouts. I mean, yeah. something I pointed out on the last show with um, with Sandy Alcantara's a ton of innings means a ton of strikeouts, regardless of what the rate yeah. actually is. Uh, but they're penalized even less for that in points leagues, at least standard CBS leagues that only reward half a point for every strikeout. 
All right, so there you have it. Points leaguers out there, we got you. We remembered. And there you go, some strategy talk. But let's get into ADP because we've got a lot of pitchers to get to. And we'll start off with four starting pitchers that are going in the fifth round. Robbie Ray with an ADP of 49.8. Chris Sale at 53.4. Freddie Peralta at 57.8. And Lance Lynn at pick 58.2. Uh, Scotty, we will start with you. Are you okay with one of these as your SP1? So say you take... On, based on ADP, you take hitters in your first four rounds. Scott, would you be okay with one of these pitchers as your SP1? And if so, which one? Uh, repeat which ones they were again. Robbie Ray, Chris Sale, Freddie Peralta, Lance Lynn. So, no. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be thrilled with one of them as my number one. I've done drafts this year where I've taken a pitcher like this is my number one it, really even a pitcher later than this is my number one and i was still okay with the way it turned out based on the discussion we just had about points leagues obviously it wasn't a points league i'm talking about it was a categories league and that's that's something i couldn't have said last year like i would have been mortified if i didn't have my ace by this point or later than this point but clearly there is a drop off in assurance assurances here there's not really a drop-off in upside. So you could take one of these guys as your ace, and it, it, it goes swimmingly. Uh, Chris, Chris Sale had a decade run as an ace before hit the elbow troubles, and he came back, looked pretty strong from the injury last year from, from Tommy John's surgery. Didn't look 100%, but looked pretty strong. And uh, the hope is that with more time to recover, uh, more reps, that he can get back to that pre-surgery form. But there's no guarantee of that, obviously. Robbie Ray, you know, I buy the breakthrough that won him the Cy Young, but if that control goes again, because like he, he suddenly became a control pitcher after having major walk problems throughout his career. Like, if, if that goes, everything goes, right? He'll still miss a lot of bats. He always did that, but mm-hmm. um, he'll, he'll be too inefficient to really make an impact in fantasy. That was the problem with him prior to his breakthrough season with the Blue Jays last year. But obviously he won a Cy Young. So if, if, if he maintains and, and going to Seattle uh, can only help with that because of the bigger park and the better division and everything, then he'll be fine as an ace. I, I do think I would prefer to gamble on him rather than potentially accept a lower ceiling from somebody like Sale or Lynn. Uh, or in Peralta's case, obviously, he has an, an innings buildup issue like his teammate Corbin Burns. But I don't know. This this is a group I tend not to draft from much unless I'm just really not loving the hitters that are there at that point. All right. Uh, Chris, talk to me about Robbie Ray here. Can he do it again? He won the American League Cy Young last year with the Toronto Blue Jays. Signs a big contract with the Mariners. Obviously, we like that. Park shift going from Toronto. We like the division shift shift as well there. Uh, so can Robbie Ray do it again? And talk to me about Chris Sale as well. I mean, he looked okay last year in the, uh, I believe it was you know, seven or eight starts that he made returning from Tommy John surgery. Wasn't completely himself, but you know, turns 33 years old in March. So what are you expecting from those two lefties? Yeah, so one thing with Robbie Ray, when you, you look at the ADP and the fact that he's only done it one year and, and the, those concerns is, you know, you kind of like him more at 49 overall or whatever it ends up being than Zach Wheeler at like 24, right? 
It's like if you're talking about a guy with a limited track record, like Zach Wheeler has shown the ability to throw a lot of innings, although Robbie Ray hasn't really had a lot of trouble with injuries. You know, his issue has been quality of the innings. And I know Zach Wheeler did have a good ERA in 2020, but he had a sub 20% strikeout rate. So like if we're talking about the ACE level performance, Robbie Ray has about as much track record as Zach Wheeler does in that regard. And so if you can get a guy without a track record who I think has a higher upside, Robbie Ray versus Zach Wheeler, and it comes two rounds cheaper, I I like that. The upside isn't so different. I mean, Zach Wheeler was almost the NL Cy Young winner last year. I I, I frankly think he should have been uh, over Corbin Burns. Chris, you're muted if you're trying to yell at Scott. Right, but we're talking about a career high, like 29% strikeout rate for Zach Wheeler versus... A thirty-two point one percent for Robbie Ray, which wasn't his career. I, I think I think that it's more between those two, and and the reason they're separated by twenty-five picks is the downside argument. Right. Downside, sure. down, downside, yes. leaving injury out of it because that obviously is the ultimate downside. Downside for Zach Wheeler is still a must-start pitcher, and downside for Robbie Ray is waiver fodder. You sure, know? sure, yep. But no, when, I, I agree with that. But in terms of the the upside and what you're aiming for there, I I'd rather have Robbie Ray at that price. And you know, I think Chris Sale, <clears throat> like he looked pretty good. He you did. know, not like himself. He didn't. He wasn't back to being you know the Chris Sale. But he was throwing 94 with the fastball on average, getting a bunch of whiffs. The slider whiff rate wasn't quite where it had been. But that's you know, it wouldn't be out of character for a p- pitcher coming back from Tommy John surgery to, you know, not quite have the same feel for a slider and a, a diminished version of Chris sale had 28% strikeout rate, 6.6% walk rate and a three, four, five X ERA with a three, one, six ERA. So I don't know. He's one of those guys who could without question, throw 200 innings. If he stays healthy, we, we, you know, he's done it before. Now there have been a lot of injuries over the past three seasons, including the big one. But <clears throat> if you're talking about number one starting pitcher upside, I think he certainly has it. Yeah, I'm a little bit more worried about Chris Sale myself. I understand he was returning from Tommy John surgery, but the swinging strike rate, 12.8%, while still good, it, it wasn't you know near anywhere where he was at in his prime, You know where he was like over 14% uh, each year from 2017 through 2019. Plus, you know, he's 33 years old. He's coming back from Tommy John for a full season. So I'm a little bit more worried about uh, Chris Sale myself. I I don't see myself drafting him very often in this range. Scott, thoughts on on Freddy Peralta? I I mean, look, he's admittedly better in roto and categories. uh, Completely changed the pitch mix last year. He was known as Fastball Freddy, and he develops this slider, which he starts using 26% of the time last year. For reference, he used that just around 5% of the time in 2020. And, you know, he still has this curveball that he uses. So now he has two secondaries, two breaking pitches to go along with a a very deceiving fastball. I I guess, you know, it's the workload that you worry about. But in terms of strikeouts and ratios, he might have as much upside as anybody. And he's going in the fifth round. Yes. I mean, if you just project his numbers over 180 plus innings, then... I mean, he's he's somebody you consider taking in round two, probably. But as I was saying yesterday, I I don't think 
I don't think that's something you can do with pitchers anymore. I don't think you can just assume, oh, well, he can do if he if he does this over 144 innings, he can do this over 180, 200. You know, it was a big jump for like I was saying for Corbin Burns yesterday. It was a big jump, first of all. So we have to see if his arm can can uh, can hold up the year after that, and, and then if he can push it beyond what he did last year. The two big okay. questions there for Peralta. And then there's, I, I do think there is some performance question still, just because, I mean, it was the first time he he looked anywhere close to, well, anywhere close probably isn't fair, but it was the, he clearly took a big step. I think the introduction of that breaking ball, the improvement of that breaking ball explains it for the most part, but because the, the walks were still an issue, uh, it does seem like there's some downside risk there apart from just the the workload. I would say of these four, Peralta, uh, Robbie Ray, Peralta, Lance Lynn, Chris Sale, if I was ranking them in terms of downside risk, like least risky to riskiest, I would go Lynn, Sale, Peralta, Ray. But then if we're talking upside, it's, it's, it's maybe the reverse order. Maybe. I mean, sale upside wise, I mean, sale could potentially win to Cy Young, I guess. Right. But the, the, the point is you're accepting a little more risk for a little more reward with Peralta. And is it worth it at this price? I shy away from it. I have him a few spots lower than this, but I get why people are doing it. Chris, the last name on this list, Lance Lynn, just some quick thoughts here. He's, Seems reliable, veteran. I don't know what the upside is like. I mean, he's turning 35 years old in May, and we saw the innings take a little bit of a step back last year in terms of uh, innings pitched per start. So he was under six, which I feel like we're not used to seeing from him. He's, you know, this reliable, dependable, workhorse kind of guy. Uh, but those were down a little bit more last year. The ERA second half, too, was a 3.66. I think it's probably closer to what you should expect. And if that's the case, it's like, why not take Jose Barrios a little bit later on? So... I don't know. I just, I don't really target this group much. I, I, what do you think about Lance Lynn? I think the thing about Barrios is one, we've seen the actual production trail well, well behind what Lance Lynn has done over the past couple of seasons, but also, you know, the peripherals aren't nearly as impressive for Jose Barrios as we sometimes like to think. You know, his XERA last season was like 410, I think. So, you know, I, I do think there's, We'll talk about it a little more when we get to Brios, but you know he's he's a guy who's coming off his best season at a time when he was his value was slipping. So, you know, I, I don't think Lance Lynn. I think Lance Lynn is better, and so I'm okay paying up for him. But it's not it's not like I've drafted Lance Lynn yet this season. I don't think. Yeah, I, I think it's I, worth mentioning for Lance Lynn that his. His peripheral numbers are usually higher than his actual ERA as well. Uh, he does a great job of suppressing yeah. hard contact, though. Like the XERA, according to StatCast, was awesome for Lancelin last season. 272 last year, yeah. Scott, final thoughts? I, I got to say what I think is the most important thing about Lance Lynn, because uh, I, I, don't, I don't think there's much question whether he's good or not at this point. It's that what happened to his workload last year? Because I think. He he developed a reputation even before he was pitching at an ace level as this innings eater, and I believe he led all the majors in home, in, in innings in the shortened twenty twenty season. Yeah, eighty four led the majors. He didn't he didn't get double that last he, like he one hundred fifty seven, and he missed time with injury. But even if you look per start, 
he averaged 5.6 innings per start. That was less than like Tyler Malley, you know, Anthony Desclafani. It, it was just a little more than Lance McCullers, who nobody thinks of as a workhorse. So like, I, I don't know what Tony LaRusso was doing. Uh, I was kind of disappointed that Lance Lynn's going to be back there next year because it, it just seemed like that was the that was the thing that made him most valuable. And and now I'm not sure where he stands with that anymore. Yeah, the thing is, I, I you know I was looking at his pitches per inning pitched, and he was at like 16.6. It was like the seventh or eighth highest in the league. And I was like, well, maybe that explains some of it. Well, in 2019, when he threw 208 innings, he averaged 17.1 pitches per inning pitched. So he was less efficient in that regard. And through a lot more innings. So I don't know what, what was there with, with Lance Lynn. That's, yeah, that's an interesting question. All right. Well, let's move on to this next group. Three more going in the sixth round. Jack Flaherty at pick 60. Kevin Gosman at 61.4. And Max Freed at pick 66. Chris, you've already referenced this with Jack Flaherty. He's, he's a little scary. <laughs> Do the pros outweigh the cons when it comes to Jack Flaherty? The pros for me... He showed that he could pitch at a very high level already in the past. Strong division, very strong defense behind him. He's only 26 years old, so he's in his prime. The cons are that he dealt with a shoulder injury uh, last year. Big drop in swinging strike percentage, and he allowed a lot of hard contact. So where are you at, pros versus cons, for Jack Flaherty? Well, it's worth remembering, he was really, really good in the second half of 2019. He was not good before that. That that season, he had the the rookie season where he's pretty good, three three four ERA. Um, I mean, you would but, sign up for that if I told you that Flaherty. Was sure. Oh yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Sign up for it. But like, I I mean, like the the like the ace level production that I think a lot of people are still chasing with Jack Flaherty. Um, that has really only been one half of one season in his career, and I think he's he's gotten a lot of credit for that one half of one season and. He was bad in 2020. His results were not bad in 2021, but his XERA was 489. <clears throat> he got hit really hard. And so, I don't know. I'm just, I'm not sure he's worth this kind of price. I'm not sure. It feels like we're chasing something that we've only seen real inter intermittent flashes of, and that was three years ago now. So I'm we, very skeptical of Jack Flaherty. I'm not saying he doesn't have the talent, but you know, I, I just don't, uh, I don't see it right now. It wasn't just 2019 for what it's worth. It, it was intermittent throughout, but you know, 2020 when the Cardinals remember kept having, all these delays because of COVID in a way no other team was impacted. And and so Flaherty's starting schedule got thrown all the sure. way off. He ended up with 491 ERA, but the underlying numbers were definitely ace-like. Eh. Uh, and then XERA, last year... XERA just does not like this guy. Because he had a okay. five XERA. But otherwise. But otherwise. 14% swinging strike rate. I mean, last year, he looked off in April. All the strikeout numbers were down. And then in May, he he went off again. He, he, he looked like the ace version of Jack Flaherty. And then he got hurt, missed a ton of the season, came back, you know, didn't look so hot again. So, you know, 
you could say full season statistics are more predictive than partial season. There's some of that going on, but I'm saying it's there. There've been there's been a lot of weirdness that has thrown him off the past two years, and amid that weirdness, he has still shown a lot of ace signs. That being said, I find I don't love to draft him either. It just it just feels like taking a glass half full approach, which is kind of what you're saying, Chris. I, yeah. I just think I just think I understand why people still value him as an ace because I do think the upside is clearly still there. Yeah, I just think it, there's a lot of downside too. It's also like. It's only 118.2 innings over the past two seasons. So, you know, it's not a huge sample size, but it's also like he was bad in the first half of 2019. And so the really, really good stretch of 2020 was, or 2019 was basically 15 starts. And so, you know, I, I just, at his best, he's really outperformed his peripherals. And his peripherals are actually not that great for his career. But he might be able to continue doing that, Chris, when you have an amazing defense behind you. So I will point that out, and he'll he'll get to uh, he'll he'll get to face the Cubs and the Pirates a lot. So that, not, that helps. Not if his quality of contact metrics don't dramatically improve, because that's the other place the last two seasons where he has really taken a step back. Uh, four thirty eight expected Woban on contact in twenty twenty four twenty three in twenty twenty one. That was bottom ten percent. Um, so that's. Yeah, that I just I see a lot of f- flaws in his game for what is still a premium price. Uh, he's tough. I think performance wise, he's a good pitcher. I I more so worry about the shoulder than anything. If he just does what he's what he's been in his career three point three four ERA one hundred seven WHIP ten and a half K per nine, that's well worth this cost. Oh sure, even if he only yeah. gives you one hundred and sixty, one hundred and seventy innings. So, uh, I, I just for me, I'm kind of worried about the shoulder for uh, for Jack Flaherty. But like, I can't see an argument for him ahead of Kevin Gosman. Yeah, I was about to say the same thing. Like and, that, and for just, what that worth, doesn't make any sense to me. They're they're basically going in the exact same spot. Yeah, sure. and I think I believe we all have. I have Kevin Gosman ranked ahead of Jack Flaherty as well. So I'm with you. Yeah. And yeah, by a few spots, Scott. We pointed this out when he originally signed with the Blue Jays. Since the start of the 2020 season, here's where Kevin Gosman ranks among starting pitchers: seventh in ERA, sixth in xFIP, sixth in K minus walk rate, fourth in swinging strike percentage. And you look at his home road splits while he was with San Francisco. He was actually better on the road than when than at home. With San Francisco. So I know a lot of people are going to say, well, he's moving to Toronto, AL East. And that's fair. Like, I think you should expect some natural regression. He'll give up a few more home runs. There's no doubt about it. But yeah, I mean, what he's shown since the start of 2020 is that he's basically a top 12 starting pitcher. So even if, again, you lower the projections a little bit, he's he's probably still a top 20 guy with confidence. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously the 2020 numbers you could discount because it was a short and very strange season. And, and we've seen him dominate over short spans of time earlier in his career. So I, I didn't really put a lot of stock in that going into last season. Uh, but then he followed it up with even better numbers. It, it, it makes it, it makes it hard to, harder to discount. Obviously I think the most concerning part for me is, is, is the first and second half splits. 173 RA in the first half versus 442 in the second half. You know, while a, a lot of those other mid-career breakout types like Robbie Ray and, um, oh, who is the other one? Uh, I guess Zach Wheeler. They, they maintained their dominance throughout 
Kevin Gossman kind of sputtered to the finish line. And so whatever lingering doubts I might have had, I might have had, those were kind of rekindled. And then going to Toronto obviously presents makes the performance threshold that much higher for him. So I get discounting him from last year, but I do think this ADP discounts him too much. I have him, he's my 15th, my number 15 starting pitcher, and he's going 19th here on average. All right, so a name to target there, Kevin Gosman, based on the ADP. Chris, I'll give you Max Fried because I know Scott has talked about him quite a bit this offseason. I know that Scott likes Max Fried, but where are you at when it comes to Fried? He was awesome last year. Uh, unfortunately, had an injury early, which limited him to just 165.2, only 165.2 innings. It was it was great. And his final 12 starts, he went six-plus innings in each of those. So, Chris, what do you think about the price tag for Max Fried? Uh, and you can give some thoughts on Kevin Gosman as well. Yeah, Gosman, I mostly buy it just because I, I think there's such a simple explanation for how he's gotten better, and it's that he's just he's had the feel for the splitter, you know, much more consistently, and he's been able to throw it a bunch, and that that's always been the key for him. He's a little scary just because he does get hit hard, you know. He he's got that, so he's gonna have to maintain a strikeout rate probably in the high twenties. But I think think as long as you view Kevin Gosman as a three five ish ERA guy with your expectation that you know hopefully he could be better but that's the baseline i think he'll be pretty good you know be like lucas giolito who's going yeah early yeah that's a good point um as far as freed i i I struggle to get my head around him i i struggle with the seeming ace pitcher who doesn't get strikeouts and i think we can safely say at this point that he's just not going to be a big strikeout pitcher um there was that like second half of 2019, I think, where he started getting more more swinging strikes, but his strikeout rate's actually been below that each of the past two seasons. So, but he's got good control. He's got excellent quality of contact metrics, and I think that's gonna help him remain a mid threes ERA. You know, he he's got a lot in common with Sandy Alcantara, actually, Alcantara. I don't think you can rely on him for a hundred, you know, two hundred innings. Like I think Sandy Alcantara is a pretty safe bet for. So, I think the the discount relative between the two of them is fine. I think it makes sense, and um, it's a this is a fine spot for Max Fried. I don't so know. I, I I think I give him my expectation for him is better than a mid threes ERA. I, I would I would be disappointed if he gave him mid threes ERA. Who? And I, I would rank Gosman? Max Fried. Max. Fried. Oh no, I said that about Gosman. Oh, I thought you said that about Freed just now. Okay, no, what, I, so what's your ERA expectation for Freed? Not far off from Sandy Alcantara. Okay, I don't so know. Like it was know, 304 last year, which low, was also low, very simple. Low-ish threes, low to mid threes probably. So I just want to point out Freed being a great ground ball pitcher, I think even better than Alcantara. Um, and, and those, you know, that is, that's probably even a more reliable way to keep ERA specifically low than strikeout rate is. But, so in 11 starts in 2020, Max Fried had a 225 ERA. No way he repeats that, right? Obviously, a, a small, a, a short season fluke, that 225 ERA. If you eliminate his first three starts last year, when his stuff didn't look right, and he went on the IL right afterward, take out those first three starts, he had a 244 ERA in 25 starts. Yes, my expectation is around a three ERA, 
but it could be better. Like I, I feel like Freed clearly stands out in that category specifically, and that makes up for his underwhelming strikeout rate. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but before we do that, if you're watching us live on YouTube, thank you. Hit the like button if you haven't already. For those listening, please subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already. We do each of our full-length pods plus a live mock draft each night from Sunday through Thursday. Again, that's youtube.com slash fantasy baseball today. If you haven't subscribed already, please come check us out. A lot of fun. All right, we're going to hit a break, and when we return, more ADP breakdown here on Fantasy Baseball Today. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. All right, so let's pick back up with this group of three going between picks 69 and 76. Jose Barrios at 69.6, Luis Castillo at 73.2, and Logan Webb at 76.4. Scott, Jose Barrios was great with Toronto last year, but the swinging strike rate was way down. I mean, we're talking around 9%. I think we know who Jose Barrios is at this point, which is a mid to high threes ERA. He's probably going to be better in points leagues. He's fine. He's solid. I just, we probably should never expect another step, which, which is okay. He is Lucas Giolito's ERA with Max Freed's strikeout rate with... Um, he's usually very good in whip. That's the one. I was going to say he's like, he's like Luis Castillo, but you're trading strikeouts for whip. Yeah, that that's yeah, you could put it that way, I guess. Like he's just he's definitely a floor play. He's yeah. He is the truest number 3 type starter in fantasy. But he's he's so certain of being that that it kind of elevates him to a number 2. Um it just and, I don't want him as a number 2. <laughs> right. Well, and what's weird is he still seems to like we, we, when we when we draft with all these folks in the industry like he still gets some like number one buzz and I'm not sure what they're holding out for at this point. Yeah. He just, he's always been someone who like, I'm blaming pitching ninja. You know what? I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Like he's got such an aesthetically pleasing curveball, And like when his curveball is on, he just like, he looks so good. It is like the, like one of the most jiffable pitches in baseball. And I feel like people have always been like, Wow, Jose Barrios, like this guy's an ace. And 
yeah, I thought that back in 2017, like he could develop into an ace, but he's been remarkably consistent. I mean, between a 3.52 and a 4 ERA for five straight seasons, the strikeout rate has crept up a little bit. And I don't know, maybe there's something there, but he also, you know, as his strikeout rate has crept up, his hard hit rates have gone up and his expected, his Wobon contact has gone up and all those things. So I think like his XERA three seasons in a row has been above four. I, I'm not saying he'll be a four ERA pitcher, but like that's more likely than a three ERA. Yes, for sure. And I think like the, the median outcome is probably a three, eight or something like that. And it's like, Yeah. yeah, he's fine. He probably won't hurt you all that often. But yeah, I don't. Uh, it's hard for me to see a team build where I'm happy to take Jose Barrios in, you know, the the sixth round. I mostly agree, Chris. I I don't want him as my SP two, but I do have a scenario where I think it works, and I think that scenario is with Jacob Degrom or Shane Bieber. So if you take that risk early on, Jose Barrios is so safe into again the like the floor is, play, the innings that he provides. He has the fifth most innings since the start of 2018. Like. You know he's going to give you innings. Yeah, the problem is, if something does happen to Jacob DeGrom and Shane Bieber, then you don't have the potential ace to back them up. So, you know, uh, in this range, like, who who is a potential ace? I guess that's a fair question. I don't think, you know, Luis Castillo and Logan Webb, I don't think they're quite there. Maybe you you, you can see Joe Musgrove doing what he did in the first half and really, like, the first month and a half. Um, but... Yeah, I guess that's fair. Um, I just in this I I think what we're seeing at this part of the draft is like I like the hitters a lot more. Right. Uh Chris, I know that you've made the case for Luis Castillo before, but uh for those people who haven't heard that podcast, uh quickly, your your case for drafting Luis Castillo in this range. I just don't think he was that much of a different pitcher in twenty twenty one than before. You know, I, I the peripherals, some of them weren't quite as good, but the the under the stuff underlying the underlying stuff, I guess the the velocity, the spin rate, all that stuff was mostly what we'd seen, and he mostly did a good job of limiting quality of contact. And so, I generally think he was pretty much the same guy that he'd been in the past, and that was a guy who was being drafted as a top fifteen starting pitcher. You know, maybe he's not that. Maybe. You know, we are getting over our skis heading into 2021. But I do think when you're talking about him as a, I don't know, number 20 starting pitcher or, or later than that, then I think it's worth taking the flyer there. He's SP 22 off the board right now. That's the case for Luis Castillo. I'll give you the case against a 1.22 whip or higher three of the last four seasons. And speaking of those four seasons, here's his finish at starting pitcher each of those years. SP 62. SP25, SP14, SP50. So the upside is is solid, but the downside is, is pretty low. So uh, yeah. there's just other pitchers in this range that I'd rather take a shot on than he, Luis he Castillo. He feels more like a floor play now when in the it's, past we treated him like an upside play. You, you know you're getting, uh, you know you're getting, you know you're sacrificing whip by taking him. It is fair to say in 2020, I think he was better than his finish. Um, he only had four four wins in the 12 starts. So, you know, obviously that is a case against him, however, because the Reds figured to be pretty mediocre, if not bad, this season. But And he doesn't go as know, deep as you think because he's just not an efficient pitcher. So that affects his sure, win totals yeah. as well. 
That's true. Uh, all right. Last He's name. never averaged six innings per start. Last name on this list is Logan Webb, ADP of 76.4. And down the stretch, you know, he was maybe one of the five best pitchers in fantasy. His final 14 starts, he turned in quality starts in 12 of those. A 2.68 ERA, a 101 whip, 61% ground ball rate with a 13% swinging strike rate. He made two starts in the postseason. Both came against the Dodgers, and he was phenomenal in both of those starts. Scott, Logan Webb strikes me as a pitcher that... Normally, you would be in on strikeouts, good control, ground balls, uh, but the price is you know probably higher than you want for someone who doesn't have a big, uh, a long track record. So, what is your what are your thoughts on Logan Webb? I think it, it looks like his ADP is has fallen a bit from from early on. Um, now he is the twenty third starting pitcher off the board on average. I have him ranked twenty second, so I, I think I'm right there with the consensus now. And yeah, I mean, he has, he has all the fact, he has all, everything I look for in a pitcher. You said it. Basically, the three best ground ball pitchers last year were Logan Webb, Framber Valdez, and Ranger Suarez. None of them qualified for the ERA, so they don't show up on the ground ball percentage leaderboard, but they were all well ahead of anyone who did qualify. So that gives them a great, that, that gives them a great ERA profile. As I mentioned earlier with Max Freed, Webb up to strikeout game last year introduced a changeup that sometimes looked amazing. It was it was a little hit or miss, and, and and you know big part great supporting cast went deep into games once he was healthy. I think uh, I, I think people are right to be enthusiastic about him. He does look like an emerging ace, and um, I'd be fine with him as my number two. I. Uh, yeah, that's that, that pretty much that pretty much sums it up for me. Yeah, he's a little bit better in points league too because of the volume of innings that he gives you. All those ground balls, it allows him to go deeper into the starts. And uh, just in terms of the repertoire that he has, he he's a pretty complete pitcher. He has two different fastballs he use uh, uses. He has two different secondary pitches, slider and changeup. Uh, both of those pitches are are great. One thing I'll point out is he missed six weeks due to a shoulder injury. So mm-hmm. I, I feel like we've said that for so many pitchers so far. I, you know, I think it makes sense coming off the shortened season and, and people getting ramped up last year. So it's something yeah. to, to keep in mind now, for each of these pitchers that has it. Flaherty, Webb, Shane Bieber, obviously. The breakthrough happened after the shoulder injury. It's right. worth pointing out. It's not like he hurt his shoulder and we don't know what he's what form's coming back. He was better than ever after the shoulder injury. But yeah, he, he does have... Technically, he has to prove he can handle an ace workload, too. I, I We just saw from him, once he did get back, that on a start-by-start basis, he delivered that uh, that ace. Um, you know, he consistently pitched deep into games, which frankly is more important to me than even can you throw 200 innings in a season is what it looks like start-by-start. Start. All right, we have three. But, Go ahead, Chris. Oh, sorry. I just... It's easy to fall into the trap of this guy was great in the second half, Ergo, he's on the rise. And I do worry that there's a little bit of that with Logan Webb because this wasn't the first time we saw him pitch in the majors. Now, he did make changes last season. He started throwing his sinker a lot more, basically substituted that first four-seamer. And that seems to have made a difference. But he had thrown 94 innings in the majors with an ERA well over five before last season. That's not to say he's going to be that guy, but it is to say that it happened. And also... The innings are not great for Logan Webb throughout his career. 104.2 in 2018, his, his 
fourth professional season. That was his most in the minors. Um, 2019, it was like 105. 2020, 54, shortened season, then 148. So he has missed a, a lot of time throughout his minor league career. I think there's a significant amount of risk here. All right, let's move on to this next group. Three more going from picks 80 through 86. So this is the late seventh, early eighth round range in a 12-team league. And it includes Joe Musgrove at pick 80.6, Frankie Montas at pick 83.8, and Alec Manoa at pick 86.2. Scott, I like this group. I, I find myself targeting them probably more so as SP3s than anything. Uh, the problem is... We've only really seen it in spurts. So last year, it was the first two months for Musgrove. Final four, you know, kind of wore down as the season went on. Frankie Montas, he was the opposite. Final two months, splitter usage goes up. He was amazing. Alec Manoa, uh, the 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 numbers were great, but he only did it over 111 innings so far in the majors, and uh, the underlying numbers were not as good. But man, he's he's a fun pitcher. Uh, Scott, what do you think about this group? Do you find yourself targeting it? I think this is where we, this is the point in the starting pitcher rankings when I start to get nervous and when I'm going to start to back away. The exception is for me is Frankie Montas. I think I'm higher on Montas than just about anybody in the industry because of the new level that he unlocked uh, when he started throwing his splitter more than ever in the second half last year. Final. Final 15 starts, he had a swinging strike rate like Max Scherzer's. He had a 2.11 ERA. Uh, he looked like an ace in every sense of the word. And that was in 15 starts. So we're not talking about just a month or something. Okay, the, the, the counter argument is, okay, well, the splitter is a difficult pitch to, to, to sustain the feel for over a course of the season. That's why Kevin Gosman's had inconsistencies through his career. And that's why Frankie Montas, really going back to 2019, has had ups and downs himself. Well, I mean, even if you look at the full season stats for Montas, a 337 ERA, 118 with 10K per nine. I mean, that itself is is worth this. It's worth it's worth better than this. Like his ADP is under is discounting his full season stats, much much less the possibility that those final 15 starts were. Uh, a, a potential new baseline for Frankie Montas. So um, I love taking him here. Uh, Musgrove feels like more of a fallback option to me, but he's certainly showed high in potential. I mean, the full season numbers weren't that different from Montas's last year. I just feel like, I just feel like it started a lot better than he finished. So I, I'm not as enthusiastic about him. I would take him. Alec, Alec Manoa feels like a different tier. Alec Manoa, you're you're counting on him doing things he hasn't done yet to uh, to measure up to the others that we've talked about so far. Three point two two ERA, one hundred five WHIP, Scotty. That's that's pretty good over a strikeout yeah, per inning for Manoa. And how many innings? Like uh, it was it was yeah. one eleven. It was a partial season, and uh, where he a, a partial season where he outperformed his uh, his expected stats pretty significantly, like. Not a didn't show great control. Showed a lot of vulnerability to the long ball. I mean, I like some issues Ale against lefties. I like Alec Manoa in like a nebulous sense, but yeah. like I'm not just gonna say what he was over those 110 innings or whatever they were. Okay, well that's just what he's gonna be. Like I, I think he has a lot to prove still. 
the mountain of a man, Alec Manoa. Maybe it's the idea of Alec Manoa that I'm more excited about than actually the cost and the fantasy asset, but he is a hulking human being. Six foot six, 260 pounds. Uh, Potentially. I mean, Scott, you said he has issues with home runs. He allows fly balls and he walks too many, but he actually does a really good job of limiting hard contact and home runs. I I was thinking about the fly balls, which contributes to that high XFIP. That's the thing is that that is a... That's a, uh, as we've said before, that's a stat or that's a, a skill, I guess you could say, that very few pitchers consistently have to the level that he showed. Right. And right, it yeah. takes a long time to, for that to normalize. I think exactly. the, the data that I've seen suggests that like the hitter has 80%, <clears throat> like owns 80% of the exit velocity. And the mm-hmm. pitcher has control over like the other 20% in terms of the variance from one pitcher to the next. And so it takes a lot longer to know what a true talent level in terms of that kind of stuff is for pitchers. So that's the one place where he's he was really exceptional last season. And it's the one thing that you can't trust as much. So I, I will just I will say this for Manoa. Among the standout rookie pitchers last year, which would include him. Shane McClanahan and Trevor Rogers, I would say. Uh, Manoa is my favorite, but I just I, I I I think you have to pay for that. In a way, I don't. I'm not willing to pay for it. Like ADP suggests, I'd have to. Chris, do you have any closing thoughts on, on Joe Musgrove? I mean, first two months, 2.08 ERA. Final four months, a 3.73 ERA. I think. He started to fade as the season went along. He only threw 39 and two-thirds innings in 2020. Obviously, a huge jump. Gets up over 180 last year, which was actually a career high for Joe Musgrove. So I think we saw him fade a little bit, but I, I mostly like him. I, you know, I, I like the pitch mix changes that he made with San Diego. Um, he's probably more of like a mid-threes ERA guy, but I like it. I, I, I trust it as like an SP3. Yeah, I don't think there's probably all that much difference between him and Jose Barrios. You know, I guess Jose Barrios is a more reliable source of innings, but in terms of the quality of the innings, I think they're going to be pretty similar. So I don't dislike uh, Joe Musgrove at all. I just, he's not someone you should be expecting something like that first couple of months. You know, I think 370 RA should be the expectation there. All right. The next group here, four picks from picks. Four from picks 90 through 100. Oh, man, it's it's been a long week. I think my brain's just starting to go. Late eighth round, early ninth round. Charlie Morton at pick 90.2. Hugh Darvish, 90.6. Dylan Cease, 95.2. And Trevor Rogers, 95.6. We are the official podcast of Charlie Morton. And if you the, listen to the players we love, Scott was all about it. The His, disrespect. The, the disrespect. disrespect, including him in this group. Eighth, ninth round, you said? Are you crazy? Like, I don't let him it's, get past round six, and I feel happy to get him there. He's the guy who makes every pitcher probably after Max Freed look like a terrible value. <laughs> like, he's the one that you're just like, well, why take Jack Flaherty when Charlie Morton's there five rounds or whatever? Uh, yeah. it's like, and it's like, that's unfair. That's not how it works. You can't just pass on all of those guys and get Charlie Morton, but you should just take them. You should just take him ahead of them. Yeah, from well, our, I, I have him ranked. That he's my 14th starting pitcher. I think 13. we all have him ranked inside of our he's top 15. 15. Me, yeah. He is yeah. to me, especially in these deep leagues right now, 
you get him in like the sixth or seventh round of 15 team leagues as your SP2. I mean, it feels like stealing. So, mm-hmm. like, I, I think he's undervalued because he's old. He's 38 years old, sure. But you look at what he's done since the start of 2017 3.34 ERA, 113 whip, 862 strikeouts over 732 innings pitched. If this guy was even five years younger, he would probably be going three, four rounds earlier than this. So he's yeah, a steal. That, um, Scott, I, the, I don't, go ahead. I feel like the one thing that we haven't really hit on it, look, he is coming back from a fra- fractured tibia, and maybe we've just kind of like brushed that under the rug. But there, there was an update recently. Charlie Morton told David O'Brien of The Athletic that he's, quote, mostly caught up to where he would normally be at this point of the offseason. When you hear that quote, does it, eh, do you worry at all? Mostly caught up? So he's not, he's not there yet at this point. That, I took that quote as encouraging. All right. But personally, I mean, oh, yeah. He's basically on a regular schedule after breaking his leg, which is what I expected. So, you know, um, no, I, I guess between that and him being 38, but as I mentioned for Max Scherzer, like age kind of works to a pitcher's advantage because they 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 get to take on the big workload that a lot of the younger guys don't get to. And Charlie Moore and Nishoni can handle that. Basically, four years now, uh, certainly two of the past three. The, the, you know, the one blip on his record over the last four years was that shortened 2020 season when he had some shoulder issues. Spent some time on the IL, but he finished strong. He came back. Uh, you remember the Rays went to the World Series. He was still with the Rays at the time. They went to the World Series, and, and he looked great um, throughout their playoff run. And then, obviously, he bounced back and had a, an ace-caliber season with the Braves last year. He was the number 13 pitcher in Roto Leagues last year. Um, and just, like, they're... they're Performance wise, I don't I don't see what the knock on him is. It it has to be aged. That's, yeah, the, that's the it. The one thing that does give me pause philosophically is just the something that I, I, I try to hammer home a lot now is like the fantasy community, the fantasy baseball community, fantasy baseball analysts, whatever, however you want to phrase it, we don't miss that often collectively on like obvious things. And so when the three of us are, the three of us are so out of whack with the consensus, it does make me wonder like, well, we're usually not that off. And so like, what is it that we're missing? Is this our little echo chamber where we're just talking ourselves into it? We're not talking enough about the downside, but like, I think this is a case where just everyone else is wrong. I think it's <laughs> and like I, I don't want to be. No, I I think so too. Like, I, I mean, don't... I've, I've uh, when 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 uh, man, what's what's the pitcher list event? PitchCon. Where, PitchCon. PitchCon. Yeah, my PitchCon panel. So you know, I was talking to three different people who have nothing to do with CBS whatsoever, and I brought up Charlie Morton as the most undervalued player. Nobody had a counter to it. I don't know if they were just afraid to challenge me or something, but like. I have yet to see a case against Charlie Borden other than... I mean, look, you don't eight. step in the cage with the big doc, Scott White. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's Scotty from the top rope with the elbow drop, uh, Charlie Morton. Uh, the one thing I'll say, I- I've seen some concern about the leg, the the fractured tibia that he's coming back from, and it, there's, I think there's some data that bears out that the following year, there could be some performance concern, you know, 
pushing off, I guess, off the mound. Yeah, but I don't know, man. He's, he's not that old. Like, on that broken leg. Right. I, you know, I know, I know he's old, but he's not free. like, he doesn't have like osteoporosis. Presumably. <laughs> like, I think, you know, I think he's going to be fine. Drink your milk. Uh, Eat your cereal. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's move on to you, Darvish. Obviously, look, we all like Charlie Morton. I, deeper leagues, I keep grip, grabbing him as my SP2. 12-team leagues, SP3. All day, every day, give it to me, Charlie Morton. Uh, Chris, you Darvish, now 35 years old. Tale of two seasons for you Darvish last year. I had him uh, on some of my most important leagues, and it was so, so, so frustrating to roster him. Uh, you, you just, you would bench him against the Dodgers. He'd go out, have an amazing start in the second half. Then like three starts in a row against the Diamondbacks, he would get destroyed. So first three months, a 2.44 ERA from July on 6.65. I don't know if it's all sticky substance, if it's sticky substance at all. Apparently, he was playing through some hip and some back issues uh, that I think he might have even missed some starts or went on the IL for a little bit. So there's that. Um, and obviously, he's older. So me personally, I, I think there's too much going on where I don't really want to invest in Darvish. How do you feel, Chris? Yeah, I'm not super interested in him. Like I said, the... the this is the range of starting pitcher that I'm mostly not drafting and I'm just loading up on the hitters that I love in this range. And so I, I, I tend to skip a lot of these guys. Um, yeah, Darvish, like you're probably going to get a good whip. That's the, that's the thing I think you can really count on. Um, even in 2019, you had a three, nine, eight ERA one less sub one, one ERA, same thing in 2021 when his ERA was over four. So I do think that's one place that he does stand out. Strikeouts are another place that he stands out. I'm not sure he's going to be a huge help in ERA, but you know, I think he'll be I think he'll be fine as long as he stays healthy. That's the concern. I just mm. there's been a lot over the last 4 or 5 seasons in terms of injuries that only once did he really miss a significant amount of time, but it just there's been a lot going on. I think, I think it's an oversimplification to put it all on the sticky stuff. I mean, part of the inconsistency in his career, I, I think, can be exp- inconsistencies in his career, I think, can be explained just by him having six pitches <laughs> and always having to figure out which mix is working for him in a mm-hmm. given moment. Mm-hmm. But the upside is so high, and clearly he's capable of taking on a big workload. Like, I, I feel like he's, I feel like he's being discounted enough that I'll I'll go for it. I I hope I would hope I'd have three pitchers already uh by the time I go for it, but if I don't and he ends up my number third, well at least I know there's definitively ace upside here. I don't think you can say that for for like an Alec Manoa for instance because I think even yeah. in a best case scenario for Manoa performance wise, he's not giving you the innings of the, of an ace. Right. Yeah, and I know we tell people not to do this. I, I think I'm falling for the trap. Like he burned me last year, and and I'm mad. I'm mad at you, Darvis. So it's it's kind of hard for me to get over that second half that he suffered. So don't don't do what I'm doing. Do do the opposite and do what we normally tell you to do. And and don't hold grudges against players in, in fantasy baseball. Uh, the last two names on this list: Dylan Cease and Trevor Rogers, two uh, young studs. A lot of people believe that they have breakout potential. They both kind of broke out already last year, but there might be another step that they can get to. Uh, Chris. Who do you like between Dylan Cease and Trevor Rogers? If you had to choose one, do you actually target either one of these guys? Um, I do have Trevor Rogers ranked ahead of Dylan Cease. I think on a perning basis, he's just going to be a better pitcher. There are more injury concerns with Trevor Rogers. Um, 
and just innings and workloads concerns in general, but the underlying numbers, I mean, he was obviously phenomenal on a, you know, surface level with a 264 ERA and a 29% strikeout rate, but he had 337 XERA to back it up. He was pretty good at limiting hard contact. Um, In addition to being a great strikeout pitcher, he's got this really, really great slider, but also last season starts throwing this really, really, or not starts throwing, but starts relying more on this really, really great changeup as well. And so, you know, all of that with a high spin fastball from a lefty that he can throw in the, you know, 97 to 98 range at times. And it's just, I think he does pretty much everything well that if he gets to 160 innings, I think you're going to be really, really happy with him. Whereas I just have a lot more concerns about whether Dylan Cease is good. <laughs> you know, like, I, and this might just be my own bias. I, I admit I have trouble wrapping my head around him. He's one of those guys that just like, I watch him pitch and he's so inefficient. He cannot stop getting himself into these jams that he, you know, often is able to wriggle out, but it's sometimes it just feels like he probably averages like 47 pitches in the first inning in all of his starts. Um, and he actually does did lead the majors in innings pit or pitches per inning, which makes a lot of sense. If you watch Dylan sees, he's very, very inefficient. He's got great stuff, but I have, I struggle with him as a pitcher. I he guess needs to make the, that, he needs to make that Robbie Ray leap. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And it's certainly possible because he's just 26 years old. So, I mean, he, he right. made a leap last year. And if he makes another substantial leap, I mean, Scott, I think that that's my biggest takeaway with these two pitchers in particular, Rogers and Cease. There's a little bit more risk because of the workload, but it wouldn't surprise me one bit if we're drafting either or both of these pitchers in the top 50 next year, because I think that their upside is, is that high. Yes. I see a lot more downside in Trevor Rogers than I think most people do. I actually have him on my bust list for this year. I, I prefer Cease. Uh, I, I think the ceiling is higher for Cease. And and I, I say that, you know, I you look at Rogers' overall line, he had a 264 ERA for rookie, I mean, with great strikeout rate. How, how can you knock that? Um, but I'm going to do the partial season thing because because in, going into last year, we didn't really know who Trevor Rogers was. It's not like he was some big prospect. He wasn't a top 100 guy. You know, he he didn't have incredible minor league numbers. He, even when he got called up in 2020, he got knocked around pretty good. Showed some good potential with the fastball, but. So he has a great first three months with a 2.14 ERA, but then the final two months, nine starts a 3.76 ERA, and averaged less than five innings per start. Like he was basically useless for those final two months. So uh, he, and he didn't and, pitch at all in August. And it wasn't an injury, right? He had a family. And it wasn't. It had a yeah, family Yeah, it wasn't emergency. like them limiting his innings. They, they, he had something off the field. Yeah, it was a family yeah. emergency. Yep. True. Okay, and, so it wasn't technically the last two months. Yes, yeah, it was. It was, it was technically I, the second half of the year, but just he missed a month in the middle. Just in the the interest of fairness to one of the young stallions, <laughs> um, that nine start stretch, he did still have a two thirty six FIP. Well, but here's that's here's here's the other thing I want to point out. So legitimately dominant in those first 
16 starts with the 16% swinging strike rate. Even that fell in those final nine starts. Even that plummeted. It was an 11% strikeout rate, uh, swinging strike rate. 16, which would have been among the best in baseball. 11, which is mediocre. I, I feel like he dropped off a cliff basically in those final nine starts and in every measurable way. And just, he had built up so much uh, with the first 16 that it, it didn't impact his overall numbers that much. And because he doesn't have this great pedigree and, and you know, he, he wasn't some like rising super, like, like, you know, a streaking comet through the minor leagues ready to scorch the majors once he got there. Like that, well, that wasn't his profile. So that leaves me with a lot of questions as to how legitimate those first 16 starts were. I think that's fair. I think there's also like a little bit of prospect hound bias going on there. There's no such thing as a pitching prospect 10 step. It works both ways. You know, the reason that that saying is still so prevalent in baseball is not just because pitchers flame out all the time. It it also applies to the fact that pitchers come out of nowhere all the time. Luis Castillo is one of those guys who was nobody. And then he get, like I remember him getting called up to the to the big leagues and it, there was like zero fanfare and then I was watching him pitch and I was like, "Oh. Oh, this guy's good." <laughs> yeah. And so mm-hmm. that happens pretty regularly. Sure. You know, he he it's true Trevor Rogers doesn't have Dylan Cease's pedigree. Dylan Cease is someone who has had hype around him for a while, but I don't know, man. I just, it's hard to know what to make of the, those last two months, given the the gap between them and what would have happened otherwise. And I'm, I'm optimistic. Um, but you know, I, I have him ranked higher than Dylan Cease. That's mostly a, also illustrates my lack of trust in Dylan Cease. I, I think Dylan Cease has more blow up potential. And just the human element, right? Whatever his all-field emergency was, there's a real chance that once he returned, you know, he was. It affected yeah. his play on the field. So yeah. I'm not saying yeah. that's the entire reason, but it, it's certainly possible. Uh, next up, we have a very interesting group, and I'll point out we have about 20 minutes left and 10 starting pitchers to talk about. So we'll average. We can do it. Two minutes per pitcher. Let's make it happen. Very interesting group of four from picks 100 through 110, rounds nine, ten. Shane McClanahan at pick 102.6. Blake Snell at 105.8. Carlos Rodon at 106. Justin Verlander at 108.8. A young stud, former Cy Young Award winners, uh, major injury risk in Carlos Rodon. Let's start with Shane McClanahan. Uh, I will quickly paint the picture of upside. Chris, I will let you paint the picture of downside. Uh, We were talking beforehand. You said you might have him on your bus list. So he's got... Like four different pitches he throws at least 8% of the time. Amazing swinging strike rate. He has the prospect pedigree. Tampa Bay is relying on him because, frankly, they just don't have a lot of proven talent in their rotation. Uh, So for all of those reasons, I think Shane McClanahan has like top 20 starting pitcher upside. Chris, the downside. Go. He gets hit really hard. Or at least he did as a rookie. His expected Wobo on contact was 424. That's in the bottom 10% of the league. His hard hit rate, bottom 6%. Average exit velocity, bottom 2%. So, you know, the the old hard-in, hard-out adage does seem to apply to Shane McClanahan. So I think the thing is, he's got four pitches. What if only two of them are good? You know, the slider and the curveball. The slider and the curveball look like legitimately great pitches, but the changeup did get hit hard. The fastball got crushed. Um, 
And so that would be the concern that there's just, you know, maybe this is why they, the, the Rays seemingly didn't view him as a starter coming up through the system, which is what we heard a lot about him as a prospect. Um, so that's my concern with, with Shane McClanahan. I hear everything that you're saying. I, just, I think the stuff is so nasty. He's just got to like figure out some sequencing and, and then hopefully he can figure it out. Scotty, you get Blake Snell, ADP of 105.8. He had a seven-start stretch um, where he was amazing towards the end of the season where he basically ditched the changeup. Um, however, I am not forgetting about everything he did in those 53 starts <laughs> prior to that seven-start stretch. Where are you at on Blake Snell? I'm more optimistic that the consensus, it seems like. And I guess it's it's kind of a zig while everyone else zags kind of thing because I was I was more down on Snell the past couple of years than I feel like the consensus was. Um, but I mean, those seven starts were amazing. They were amazing, and they reminded us of the kind of pitcher he could be when he won the Cy Young Award back in 2018 with a 189 ERA. Uh, it wasn't just that he was getting a ton of strikeouts again. He he went seven innings in four of those seven starts, all of them double-digit strikeouts. And prior to that, he was averaging like four and a half innings per start. Like I, I, I was to the point where I was dropping him in, around the all-star break because it just looked like there was no reason to hold out hope for anything. And then he goes bonkers there uh, before hurting his groin. So I wish he could, would have gotten a full September to see where it goes. There were changes to his arsenal. He he simplified. He did the he did the easiest thing a pitcher can do to improve his results, and that's throw his best pitches more and his worst pitches less. And if he sticks with that approach, it might just be a successful one for him. I'm, I'm happy to take him at this discount and see what happens because I think the upside is enormous. Yeah, if you trust the gains, then you should be buying Blake Snell at this cost. If you're somebody like me, uh, the previous 53 starts from the start of 2019 to basically July of last year, 4.48 ERA, 1.38 whip, over four walks per nine. So I'm a little bit more skeptical. Uh, Chris, you're up next. Carlos Rodon, 29 years old, a pending free agent, finished as a top 12 starting pitcher in both Roto and fantasy points per game. Had this huge jump in velocity last year, bunch of strikeouts. The walk rate came down. Um, however, he is now dealing with this shoulder injury again, and he was not granted the qualifying offer by the White Sox, so we don't really know what's going to happen. What do you think about Carlos Rodon? I mean, it looked like we'd never see Carlos Rodon again, you know, as of as recently as, like, last spring. I don't think anybody was expecting... Uh, I guess Phil DeSalt was. Um, he's the only person who's right. had him on all of his teams. Um, he was legit... Carlos Rodon was legitimately amazing last season. He basically did everything you want a starting pitcher to do. Um, elite even, strikeout rate. Even with 100, 132 and two-thirds innings, he was the number 12 yeah. pitcher in in 5x5 five five leagues. Yeah, and, I mean, 35% strikeout rate, 7% walk rate. Like He was above average at pretty much everything. He was good at limiting hard contact. Fastball velocity went up. He used his changeup around 12% of the time. That was always like a, can he get to that point with him? It's it's just health, I think. Like he, he, he had finally come back from Tommy John and shoulder surgeries. Uh, he hadn't pitched in like three or four years, really. And 
it just it stinks that we don't know if he's healthy. That that's really what it comes down to. I, I think he could legitimately be one of the best pitchers in baseball. I think he could be a you know, based on what we saw last year, like he could be Corbin Burns good. It just he's one of the bigger health question marks out there. Would you actually do it though, Chris? Would you draft him here one oh six? Let's say he's your SP three. Might be your SP four. Yeah. I think that's around uh, around the right range. I actually have him a little higher in my SP rankings, but that's around 100 is where he comes out in my overall ranking. So I, yeah. I, I think he's worth the risk. But it it's not like if I already have Jacob deGrom, I can't do it. Even if I have, exactly. if I have Shane Bieber, I can't do it. So it, it depends on what it's looking. I, I hate that the White Sox didn't extend him a qualifying offer, you know? Like they weren't even willing to take yeah. the chance of him accepting a qualifying offer, mm-hmm. so that they could, you know, get get a draft pick out of it if he if he did leave. Yeah, yeah. And he hasn't signed yet, so we don't know what kind of deal he's getting. If it's a one year prove it deal or a multi, or if if he could even pass a physical. True. Yep. I'll tell you what: if you draft Sandy Alcantara and like a Lance Lynn or or Max Fried as your your SP one and your two, then you could probably take the shot on Rodon, the, the risk there. Scotty, you get Justin Verlander. The ADP is 108.8. The last full season we saw from Verlander, he finished as the number one overall player back in 2019. He officially signed a one-year, $25 million deal to return to the Astros. He has a conditional option where if he reaches 130 innings in 2022, he gets an additional year at $25 million. So kind of looking at that 130 inning mark as like a floor. And then anything else we get after that is is gravy. So, yeah, number one pitcher in 2019 with 21 wins and 300 strikeouts, a .8 whip. Like, they, they he, don't even, they don't make pitchers like that anymore. He almost got, I think he almost got to 800 fantasy points in head-to-head points leagues. It was, it was. Which absurd. is ridiculous. I think, I don't think Vladimir Guerrero last year had more than 700. So, like, at this price, like, give me all the Verlander I can handle, because like we we know what pitchers coming back from Tommy John surgery, how that tends to go. He's had more than a year to recover. It's not a rush job by any means. I understand he's just turned thirty nine, but you know, it showed no decline in skill. Obviously, as he got older, I'm I'm not going to let that scare me away. Um, it's true. Teams tend to baby pitchers coming back from Tommy John surgery and with good reason. I mean, you know, you don't want a recurrence. Uh, Max Scherzer, I think, got the biggest increase in workload or, or had the most innings coming off the the surgery and, and looked great that first year, but then was never the same after that. Not Max Scherzer. Matt Harvey. Uh, sorry. Matt. Yes, Matt Harvey. Sorry. Yeah. Um, but most pitchers who come back from Tommy John surgery aren't 37 with Justin Verlander's exactly. pedigree who – who are on a one-year deal. So like Right. And he's getting paid $25 million, <clears throat> I might add. Right. So the Astros, he, the Astros know how healthy he is. Neither the Astros nor he need to leave anything in the tank. Yeah. You know, like this might be the end for Justin Verlander. So just give it all you got. Uh that's what that's how I'm thinking they're gonna approach it. Plus, yeah. he's just like I know he just came back from Tommy John surgery, so we can't say he's invulnerable, but he has like that kind of Nolan Ryan. Indestructible feel to him. What do you? What would you draft him as, Scott? Your SP two, SP three. Ideally, I've four, done both. Maybe? I've done both. I prefer three. Obviously, um, I, I'm, I'm I'm uncomfortable taking him as my number two, though he could turn out to be my number one. 
but yeah, I think I think too much is made of the risk and not nearly enough is made of the reward. I I I, I like him more than uh, you know, weighing those those two risk and reward. I like him more than Rodon. I like him more than Snell. I like him more than Darvish. Um, yeah, yeah, I'll take him as my number three for sure. All right, three more going between picks one twenty and one thirty. This is the eleventh round. Pablo Lopez one twenty one point eight, Tyler Malley at one twenty four point two, and Clayton Kershaw at one twenty seven point six. Chris Pablo Lopez was great last year. Three oh seven ERA, one one two WHIP. Over a strikeout per inning. However, he dealt with a shoulder injury, a rotator cuff strain, and that's now the third shoulder uh, issue he's had in the last four years. So I I really like what he can do when he's on the mound. I just kind of worry about how many innings we're going to get from Pablo Lopez. Yeah, I I think that's the the concern. He's got, you know, the changeup is legitimately one of the best pitchers in baseball, I think. And he threw it more than any other pitch in 2021. He's got a lot of confidence in that thing, and it's a really good pitch. I think he's going to be a very good pitcher, probably not you know, ace level on a per inning basis. I think tre- like his Trevor Rogers is the better Marlins pitcher on a per inning basis. For sure. But I think he's going to be well above average when he pitches. It's just there's just been a snag every year, it seems like. There, there's just like it's always one thing. Um, and in this case, that one thing is arguably the scariest thing that can, that it can be for a pitcher, which is recurring shoulder injuries. So this is, given that we're talking about the same range as Justin Verlander, I don't think the risk-reward calculus works out in Pablo Lopez's favor. Um, he's going a little later than, than uh, Justin Verlander. But yeah, I, I'm probably not going to draft a ton of Pablo Lopez, which makes me sad because I really do enjoy watching him. So I, I disagree. Um, I, I do want Verlander more, but like if I miss out on Verlander, or even if I take Verlander and Lopez is there in the next round, I, I think I think on a start by start basis, he's basically going to be an ace. And if it ends up being only twenty starts like last year, it'll okay. It 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 was probably worth it given that you know he's given me a consistent six innings with a three ERA and well more than a strikeout per inning or 10 K per nine basically. I, I think I think he feels. Like I, I feel more confident in the impact he's going to have on my fantasy team for however long he is healthy. And maybe this is the year he's healthy for the whole season. It's certainly possible. All right, Scott. It sounds like you you like Pablo Lopez quite a bit. I have I him. I do, yeah. I have him in the Scott White Dynasty League. So, you know, if you want to throw a trade offer my way, one's trading opens. Oh, I'm, I'm always looking for more pitchers than that. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, I will point out, there's been some talk about trade rumors when it comes to Pablo Lopez. He has a 2.97 career ERA in Marlins Park. He's got a 5.62 ERA on the road. So just keep that in mind. I think there were like two incredibly bad starts. I know there was one where he gave up like 10 runs in less than an inning he did it on in, the road, I think, against the Mets. He did it in each of 2019 and 2020. 2019, yeah. it was against the Mets. 2020, it was against the Braves, that game where I think they scored 28 runs. 29. 29. Yeah. <laughs> there you Duvall go. hit three home runs. Yeah. You know who started that <laughs> yeah. game? It was it was Pablo Lopez. Tyler yep. Malley's up next. He's got an ADP of 124.2. And speaking of splits, he's got a 5.63 ERA at Great American Ballpark last year, a 2.30 ERA on the road. So a trade would be very welcome for one Tyler Malley. Scott, he gives you a lot of strikeouts, but the ratio numbers are just, just kind of meh. Lee, what do you think? Yeah, so I feel like 
this this is kind of this is kind of why I like Lopez so much because I feel like he's the last shot at ace like production realistically realistically obviously an ace could emerge who goes even later than him but we've already seen him perform like an ace in a way that was believable I guess because Mally pretty good bat misser not really great at anything else and. Um, it just feels decidedly middle tier to me. Kind of like, kind of like Nathan Avaldi. Kind of like Sean Manaya. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa! <laughs> I know you love Sean Manaya, but I, I, I group them all the same as okay. They're, they're going to give you enough strikeouts. They're not going to kill you in ERA and WHIP. They're, they're a fine way to round out your rotation. But if, you know, they're, they're clearly not up to the standards of the other pitchers we've been talking about. Mm, all right. Well. SP Preview Part 3, I'm coming with a full page of Sean Manaya notes for you, Scotty. Uh, Chris, you had the pleasure of talking about Carlos Ron. You also get Clayton Kershaw, who has an ADP of 127.6. He was amazing last year, kind of similar to Rodon. We just don't really know what's going to happen. He's now spent at least 10 days on the IL in six straight seasons. He missed most of the second half with a forearm injury. The Dodgers did not extend the qualifying offer to Kershaw, much like the White Sox did not extend it for Carlos Rodon. Uh, apparently, they... Wanted to give him the freedom to decide what he wants to do. Because, yeah, that, that's what it sounds like. Yeah, he's like legitimately contemplating retirement. So I don't know. By the time we're actually drafting Chris, I, I think we'll have some kind of idea on Clayton Kershaw. But would you take the shot here as like, I don't know, your SP4? I feel like I saw a quote from him the other day where he he said something like, I can't wait until we're until this lockout's over or something like that. So it does sound like he's leaning towards playing. The thing about Clayton Kershaw is people have been expecting him to fall off a cliff for like four straight seasons now it seems like and it hasn't really happened last season was his worst era since 2008 and it was 355 <laughs> so that just tells you how good he has remained um he seems to have rediscovered how to pitch into his elder years but the the elbow is a real concern he had a prp injection in his elbow that's the kind of thing where like maybe that did do its job and stimulated healing and he just comes back and he's ready to go on opening day and he looks great and it's not an issue. But it's also the kind of thing that is often a precursor to some more some more serious issues. So there's definite risk there. But like if he is healthy, I think Clayton Kershaw is yeah. probably going to be like a top 15 starting pitcher on a per start basis. I, I would roll the dice. just what he is. Every I would year. roll the dice over a Tyler Malley. I'm, I'm not dying to yes. have Kershaw on my roster, but I think I think, uh, I think you go for the upside at this stage of the starting pitcher rankings. Yeah, I have Verlander, Rodon, and Kershaw all inside my top 30 at starting pitcher, actually, and they are back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. The shallower the league, the more you want to take a shot on Clayton Kershaw yeah. because if it doesn't work out, the replacement value is obviously much higher. The final three that we're going to talk about today, they're all going right around pick 130. Lance McCullers at pick 130.4, Zach Gallen at 130.6, and Shane Boz at 130.8. That whistle sound that you heard was uh, the ADP of Lance McCullers plummeting. Yes. I'm, glad, I'm glad you picked up on that. <laughs> because uh, there was an update recently that Lance McCullers is, quote, behind in his recovery from a forearm strain that he sustained during the, during the 2021 postseason. He's already had Tommy John surgery, so... Scott, I mean, it's pretty obvious. I think like we fade Lance McCullers until we find out what happens. However, I did want to ask, who fills in next? Is it, you know, you want to take a shot on Christian Javier late in your drafts? 
Oh, I don't know. Let's let's see what happens with McCullers. Didn't he didn't he say like the muscle was detached from the bone or something? Like <laughs> it's pretty gross. Yeah, I'm I'm out on McCullers. Um, but I do want a, a minute to talk about Gallon here because you know between Kershaw, McCullers, and Gallon, we're we're kind of a disaster corner here of the SP rankings. Um, I feel like Gallon because he had a UCL issue, a sprain is what they called it. In May last season, look brain is a tear. Look, yeah, looked normal before then and after then. His swinging strike rate was way down. His ERA was up. He, he actually finished strong ERA and strikeout wise, but the the swinging strike rate was below ten percent even during that strong stretch to end the year. So, in my mind, he never looked healthy uh, after returning. And I feel even more confident Tommy John is in his future than I than I would say for for Clayton Kershaw or. Or Jacob Degrom, or any of these these other uh, elbow risks we've talked about, and yet I don't feel like his ADP accounts for it as much as it does for Degrom and for Kershaw. So I'm out on Gallon as well. Yeah, I'm mostly out as well. I know a lot of people have been making the case for him. He was drafted inside the top 50 last year, but those final eight starts: three one nine ERA, one one three WHIP, eight point six percent swinging strike rate. Right, that is terrible. Pretty bad. Yeah. What the weird thing is though. The the Diamondbacks did not use him as if they thought he was not healthy. He threw right. a lot of innings in that second half. He did. Well, I, I mean, he threw his, from July 30th on, he had 100-plus pitches in eight of his final 12 starts. Now, he averaged fewer than six innings per start, so that tells you about the effectiveness that, that he was working with. But that's weird. That is a, a strange thing for a team to do with a young, cost-controlled pitcher. So I don't know what to make of that. All right, we are up to the last pitcher for today's podcast. SP40 in ADP, that is Shane Boz, the arguably top pitching prospect in all of baseball. The ADP here is 130.8. 17 starts in the minors last year, a 206 ERA, a 0. 0.80 whip, 113 strikeouts to 13 Walks. He made three starts towards the end of the season. Looked absolutely lights out. Scott, are you actually willing to invest in one of the top pitching prospects in the game here, Shane Boz, for this upcoming season? Yeah, I don't see why not. My my initial inclination was to rank him ahead of McClanahan, actually, who at this point has gone a long time ago. I I I cooler heads prevailed. I have Boz behind McClanahan at this point, but I. I think the upside's higher for Boz. He's arguably the best pitching prospect in baseball and certainly looked the part the little bit we saw of him last year. I don't think he's going to get McClanahan's workload, much less, you know, a, a, a true high-end pitcher's workload. Um, 120 innings, maybe, would be great from Boz. So, you know, you can only invest so much in him considering. But I, I think the price is appropriate because I, I really have few concerns about how he's going to perform in the innings he does get. Yeah, the projections on Fangraphs all have Shane Boz between 85 and 124 innings this upcoming season. Uh, Chris, I think more like long-term, maybe next year is the year I want to draft Shane Boz, but I still feel like there's other proven talent that I want to take around here uh, over him. Yeah, on yesterday's podcast, on, on Thursday's podcast, I said something to the effect of, if you throw in 100 innings, I, I believe you can throw 200. Or if you throw in 180 innings, I believe you can th- throw 200. If you throw in 160, I believe you can throw 180. And so on down. Um, which means I, I'm i pretty confident Shane Bass can throw, Shane Boz can throw 100 innings in 2022. 
He has never thrown more <laughs> than 91 92, I guess is what that would come out to. Like literally never done it in a season. 92. That's the most he's done. He did it in 2019 if you include the Arizona Fall League. He did it in 2021. I guess he got up to 93.1 if you include the postseason. So I, I think there's probably not much hope for even 140 innings from Shane Boz. And we don't we aren't a hundred percent sure he's going to be in the rotation on opening day. This is the raise. You would assume he will be, but they've they've kept guys down when they looked ready before. So I don't know. I it's a lot to pay for an unproven player. Yes, he's been awesome. Yes, he looked great in those three starts, but it's a lot to pay for an unproven player with a pretty clear ceiling on how much he's going to pitch. 2023 will be the year of Shane Boz. 2022? Eh, not so sure. For Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball. Today we'll be back again on Monday. Bye-bye. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property, it's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on Fantasy Baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework.